0: isn't it great to be here just um, just worshiping as part of uh, this church family Uh, to be able to worship together and just to celebrate uh, who Christ is and his amazing love for us and in fact that's what this letter of one John has been all about and we many of you have been with us through most weeks of this uh, this series on one John as uh, John who was one of the disciples of Jesus himself he walked with him he talked with him Uh, he was handpicked by Jesus himself to be one of his uh, his early disciples, to learn from him about the kingdom, to learn from him about God's love. And, and John shows over and over to these people in the times of the early church who Jesus was and, and says, look, you need to know that Jesus was not just a good man. He wasn't just a good teacher. Jesus is someone to be celebrated. Jesus is God in flesh. God in, incarnate is uh, uh, the word you often, often hear in churches. God in, in flesh. He walked with us, he talked with us, but he was still fully God and and came for a purpose to share his love with us and that Christ paid with his own life a sacrifice that none of us could. He paid for the price of, of sin for all mankind. But once and for all, those sins are covered. So that any who trust in him... As Savior and Lord, any who believe that Jesus is God's Son and in fact is God Himself can have life and hope for all of eternity because Christ has paid the price for us. John paints a beautiful picture through all of one John. I want to challenge you to read through these five chapters. They're only small chapters. Read through these five chapters. Some great challenges for us as a, as a church. But you recognize over and over as John uh, works to teach. To people in the early church, he writes this letter to kind of new believers in in the the church after Jesus is gone, and he writes to show who Jesus is, and he works hard to show the the divinity of of Jesus and the belief that it cannot be in just God alone, but God uh, and uh, Son, Jesus Christ. And at salvation, John says, we all need it. Uh, we all sin and we fall short of God's glory. We all are in need of a Savior and that that salvation can be found in Christ alone. There is no other. There is only one way by which man might be saved, which we can have that relationship with God. And John also shows us that God wants to have a relationship with us. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that kind of blows me away. The creator of the universe wants to have a relationship with us. He loves you and me. He created us to have fellowship with us. And the way we can have that relationship and that fellowship is is through Jesus Christ, by accepting Him as a Savior and Lord. And today we look at ending this series on 1 John by uh, looking at the end of chapter 5, by the confidence we have uh, in the eternal life through Christ, and a challenge to continue to live out His love in our community. And so we're talking about uh, this morning, really, life, grace, and confidence, and we'll find that in 1 John chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. And uh, I'll just read that for you this morning. 1 John chapter 5, beginning verse 12. It says this, Whoever has a son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked. So we know that we have what we've asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will for, uh, God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin. And there's a sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God, Christ himself, keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's just pray. Dear God, we thank you and praise you as always for the precious gift of your word. We pray, Lord, that you lead us through it now, that you be honored and glorified. May your spirit work in our hearts. Challenge us, Lord. Help us to know you more. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Now, John begins this little passage in uh, the end of this letter. Remember, this is just kind of this is a letter to um, to some of these early early believers, early Christians, uh, the start of the church. And he he ends this letter by wanting them to to know that there is a distinction between those who follow Christ or Christians and uh, and non-Christians or Christians and uh, some people call them not yet Christians because they haven't come to know. Christ's love and grace for themselves. Yet, yeah. There should be a difference that we all know of as, uh, in believers and non-believers, or Christians and non-Christians. And, and that difference, not only is there should be a difference in the way we live and there should be a difference in, uh, in, in kind of the, the love and grace that we show, but there is a difference in that those who follow Christ have eternal life, eternal life, eternal hope, eternal security. We are with God forevermore. Now, there's a pretty big difference, isn't it? Those who have Christ have life. Those who don't have Christ and don't follow him do not have life. they are separated from God for all of eternity. There is an eternal death and eternal punishment. Well, there's eternal life, grace, and mercy. We can be with God himself, see God face to face, walk and talk with Jesus and believers who have gone on before uh, in heaven forevermore for those who trust in him. Whoever has Christ, verse 12 to 13 says, has eternal life far beyond the, the joys of this life. Now, Christ said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. He's not just talking about that we should have good things in this life, that we should drive great cars or have great things. Jesus said, I've come that they might have more than this world could ever offer, have an abundant, joyful, peaceful life, a security that we know that we go on long after this life is over. To be with God forever, with his angels in heaven, worshiping him, adoring him, serving God in peace, in a place where there's no more tears and no more suffering. And verse 19 again talks about that life, saying, God leads all of his children, whereas Satan leads all of those of this world. They belong to him. They have not experienced God's grace and his salvation. Although that salvation is available to any. There is a distinction in that we should live as people who are free. We should live as people who are no longer held in, held down by those chains of sin because Christ has set us free from that. And we have life and we have hope and we have freedom we have grace like this world may never know unless they experience Christ for themselves. But he goes on then and says that there is grace in that we, we are free from the, the chains of that sin for all who trust in Him. God protects His children from sin. And there's this interesting passage in verses 15 to 18 that talks about sin. And uh, let, me, let me go through this r- uh, quickly for you. In um, verse 15, it says, If we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of Him. If you see a brother or a sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There's a sin that leads to death, and I'm not I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, I don't know how many of you have been reading along this week, or how many of you read that for the first time this morning, but... Sometimes when you read a passage like that, in just these few verses, especially 16 to 18, you kind of read and go, what? What? Well, hold on. There's a, there's a sin that leads to death, and there's a sin that doesn't lead to death, and I'm not talking about that, but this. It can be a bit confusing, can't it? Because it, it kind of throws out, hold on, all sin uh, in uh, in verse 18, or sorry, verse 17, says all wrongdoing is sin, uh, and there's a sin that doesn't lead to death. Now, we were just saying earlier, right, that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the punishment for all that sin is death. And here it says everyone sin, and we all have sin, uh, but there's a sin that doesn't lead to death. But then it says that there is a sin that does lead to death, and that we shouldn't pray about that. Is everyone confused? Okay. Well, we'll try to bring a bit of clarity to this, because it actually is a, it's, it's actually a beautiful passage, and it's actually in the context of uh, the, the preceding verses, the verses just before that, talking about the relationship we have with God, the security we have in our, our faith in God, the security we have for our eternal life with Christ, and then saying we have this relationship where we can ask anything that's according to His will and we, we can get that. God will supply for us. He'll provide for us as we trust in Him. And then it goes on and says, if you see a brother or sister, so another Christian who is caught up in sin and you recognize or you hear about that they're involved in sin, then pray that they might continue to have life. And peace because that's God's will now Jesus himself prayed for his disciples his his followers, those who were trusting in him, that they might continue to have life, although they they didn't understand his ways, and they constantly were were unfaithful and stumbled and fell and and sinned. He prayed that they might have life and that that uh, that that God would hold that um, eternal security so secure uh, and and God's will is that those Uh, those sins and those wrongs that we continue to stumble and fall in, not be held against us, but that God show mercy and grace. Uh, As Jesus prayed for his disciples, uh, we ought also to pray for one another, recognizing that um, for believers, those sins that we do, and we do continue to stumble, we do continue to fall. Unfortunately, we we continue to do things that, that aren't pleasing to God, even after our salvation. But that's actually what it classifies as, a sin that, that doesn't lead to death. Because it's saying Christ has actually paid the penalty. He's paid. He's already died for our sins. And so for those who have accepted Christ, although we, we stumble and we fall, there is forgiveness and there is grace and there is mercy. And if we see people walking in, in those sins and, and continue to go in those sins, then we need to pray for them and, and pray that they might know, uh, yes, of the security in, in Christ, but that they might know Christ's life and, and be drawn Uh, back to his amazing love, his amazing grace. We are to pray for, uh, as it says, brothers and sisters, other Christians, uh, because at times we all continue to uh, stumble into the sin. It says if you see another Christian or you know of their sin, and and pray for them. Now, there's a distinction here, and it says a, a brother or sister may... Uh, sin that does not lead to death, and that they continue to sin, but Christ has paid for that that price, and they've accepted Christ as a Savior, so He has justified them from all of that sin. He's wiped that slate clean, and anything they do then is is, uh, forgiven. He has paid the price for them. They don't have to be eternally separated from God. They already have life. Uh, Christ has paid all of that price for them. And death, which is the penalty of sin, is taken off the table. It's not even ever spoken of again. Their sin has been dealt with. But if they sin, and they will, we're challenged as a church not to judge them, not to degrade them, not to humiliate them, not to lecture them, but to love them and to pray for them and to leave them in God's hands. You know what happens when you pray for people? It just takes things out of our hands and puts them into God's, where they should be. And if we're really concerned about one another our brothers and sisters that we see slip and fall into sin, which they will at times, we need to keep lifting them up before God, keep praying for one another. It says if God's will is that they, they live that abundant life, that they experience that grace and mercy from God, that, that they be forgiven of those sins and that they live, live a life that is, is showing God's love and is demonstrating His grace, that is God's will and says if we pray those things, In that context of those prayers, if we're in that right relationship with God ourselves and and we're praying for one another, God's going to answer those prayers. He's going to restore them to their faith. God is an amazing God. I don't know about you. I've got a lot of friends and family who are Christians, who are living great lives. They're in the the church and they're praying for one another. and, And it's amazing to see I just never saw it coming. Now, isn't it sad to say? Is there some people that you, you, you know now are Christians, and you thought, oh, I would have never guessed that. I knew them 10 years ago, or I knew them 20 years ago, and I know the kind of life that they live. I never saw that coming. But when God's grace steps in, man, he works miracles. He transforms lives. And, and I know that all of that past life and all of that wrong that I know about is not held against him anymore. Christ paid the price for that sin, and he's wiped that slate clean. Do they still stumble and fall? Absolutely. Do we all stumble and fall? Absolutely. But we need to pray for one another, that God's will continue to be done, and that they be restored into fellowship with God, continue to live lives that show his love. Now, it says in verse 16 that there's a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying you pray about that. Now, this is not saying that you don't pray for everybody or that you don't pray for certain situations but he is distinctly talking about here in this context about life and about the security of life that we have in Christ and said so we can firmly pray for any believer in Christ we can firmly believe pray for uh, any Christian that the wrongs they stumble in uh, will not lead them to uh, death, the separation from God, because that's God's will. It, they're, they're eternally secure. We can pray that they have life and that they continue to know of the life and the security and the peace that they have in God. But here it's saying, in in this context of this relationship with God, that there are some who um, who have this, uh, or who do this sin that leads to death. Now, John is not the only one who talks about this. John talks about it here in uh, in this letter. Matthew uh, talks about uh, what he calls blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And uh, Matthew and Mark and Luke uh, each talk about these in their gospel. Uh, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which is what some would call the un- unpardonable sin in the, uh, in the New Testament. In these gospels, it talks about a sin that they'll never be forgiven of. It says there's one sin that that these particular people would never be forgiven of. Now, in Matthew and Mark and Luke, when it's talking about this unpardonable sin or blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, it's actually talking about a unique situation for the Pharisees at the time. Now, these Pharisees, if you understand the Jewish context, the Pharisees are the, um, the religious authorities of their time. They knew the law better than anybody. They're, they're like the greatest judge or greatest attorney that, that you can imagine, that they, they could just quote the, the letter of the law. And so they knew the laws of God. They knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. They could just quote it at the drop of a hat. They knew all about the promised Messiah. They knew that the Bible says that he's going to come from the house and lineage of David. They knew that the Old Testament teaches that he's going to come uh, from uh, as a, a root, uh, the, the seed of, of Jesse and out of his house. They knew why the Messiah was going to come, and they knew how he was going to come. And so, as they've walked over the last 30 years or so, by the time this is written down, by the time this gospel story happens in Matthew, Luke, and Mark, when Jesus is walking and he's talking with these these Pharisees, they knew God's plan to bring this Messiah in. They knew the reason for it all. And, And they've seen Jesus perform these miracles. They've seen God's power. Uh, working through him, they've seen the power that Jesus has to bring life and to bring healing and to bring hope. And yet they stood with Jesus face to face. And you know what they said? Now, just say, for me, I'm just saying if I look at this picture and I see people who have been longing for this Messiah, they know how he's going to come, they know why he's going to come, they're longing for this Messiah to come, and then they see Jesus walking along and performing these miracles and they can see him healing people, they can see him raising people from the dead, I would think they would be rejoicing. I would think they'd be celebrating. I would think they would be going out into the towns as the Jewish leaders and saying, all of you Jewish people, come and see the Messiah has come. But do you know what they did in Matthew and Mark and Luke? And as they each tell the story, they said, this man isn't from God. This man is doing things in the name of the devil. This man is performing these miracles by Satan's power. And so Jesus himself in in, in each of these gospels says, look, anyone who knows who Jesus is, and they see His power, and they've experienced His grace. These, these Pharisees, especially, who were right there, and they saw Jesus' work. They knew who the Messiah was going to be, and they see Him right before their eyes, and they attribute the work of God to the work of Satan. They flat out refuse to acknowledge Christ as the Savior. Then they choose their eternity in them. It is a sin that goes without forgiveness in that they are flat out just refusing to follow Christ. They are refusing to acknowledge that He is the only way into salvation, that He is the Lord and Savior as God has promised, and they reject God and therefore seal their faith. Now, some people have said in, in, in John's letter here, in 1 John, is this the same? Is this uh, the... Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, or is it apostasy, which means turning from the faith? We hear about apostasy a lot uh, in, in Islam and, and other religions, saying if you turn from Islam, then the penalty for that needs to be death. Some would say in, in Christian faith that um, some have argued that although God holds us eternally in His hands, and you're eternally secure in that, that you can, in fact, Choose to let go of him. Now, I, I just think, I, I can't imagine ever experiencing God's gl- love, experiencing God's grace, and ever wanting anything different. Because I, I just think if anyone gets a taste of God's glory and grace, they're going to want that for all of eternity. Because he just changes their life. But I also believe that God loves us so much. And This is hard. God loves us so much that he doesn't force us to follow him. Now, there are some family members and there are some friends that I dearly love that I kind of wish God would force them to follow him. And I pray, I'm like, God, shake them up. Do something. Get their attention. Because I don't want to see them die without you. Don't we all have people like that? We all have people we love and we just go, God, come on, can't you make an exception this time? Yeah, I love this person. Maybe you've got a spouse or a child or, or someone that you dearly love or a friend or a coworker that you're going, come on, God, just get him. Just get her and just, just drag her to, to your throne. Show her your love and grace. Because I'm convinced that people get a taste of God's love, they'll never want to turn back. But God loves us so much, he offers his grace to any who will trust in him. He offers his grace and mercy to any who will believe. And he's paid that price once and for all to pay the price for the sin so that any who trusts in him, any who's acknowledged that he is Lord can have life and peace and hope for all of eternity. But he doesn't force that on anyone. The reality is from um, the scripture here. We're not sure if um, this, the, the sin that leads to death means uh, the apostasy or turning from the faith or whether it means uh, the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. It seems in the context of the New Testament that uh, as Matthew, Mark, and Luke agree, that to know of Christ's love and to reject Him is something that Christ doesn't offer life from. Although we love them, and although we long for them to have God's love and God's life, He allows people to choose. And it says, we can pray for those who we love. We can pray they experience God's love and His grace. But if they know of Him, and if they've come to know Him, and they feel that love and that grace and they reject Him, there's no life in them. It says there's no point praying for them to have that life because God wills us to have that choice. He offers grace to any. And He longs like we do for people to turn their heart toward Him. But He's not going to force that. So pray. If we see believers who are struggling in sin, and we will at times, don't judge them, don't condemn them, but pray for them so they might continue to know God's love, God's life. And pray that others experience God's love and life, that they would be drawn to His mercy. And that they accept that mercy and grace for themselves. for without Christ, again in this passage of context, says, if you have Christ, you have life. But if you reject that, if you reject Christ as Savior, there is no hope and there is no security. There is no life. And then he ends this passage really by talking about confidence and security we have in our relationship with God. We have confidence knowing that God hears us, that he has a relationship with us. Now, as you know, as we've been talking about through this series, John was talking in this early church to a group of people who never thought they could have a relationship with God. They thought God was distant. God is, uh, is just a spirit, and there's no way he would walk with us or talk with us. Aren't you glad he does? I love the old hymn, and he walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. I walk with him and talk with him every day. I look a bit strange. Sometimes I walk along and I'm just talking to God. And uh, sometimes I, I'm moving my mouth and I realize cars are passing by. And I'm like, oh, okay, I look a bit weird. So I'm just the the crazy guy who works here at the church. You know, walking along and uh looks like talking to myself. And um, sometimes it's in my head. And uh, I, I was walking along this morning. Just looking at the beauty of creation and just talking with God. And celebrating who He is and, 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 and just, just honoring Him. Aren't you glad that God hears us? And that he wants a relationship with us? John says, no, no, you guys need to understand, man, you can have confidence when, when you're a Christian, you can have a confidence, you can have confidence that God hears you when you pray. The God, the creator who made all of his beauty, all of his creation, wants to know you. He wants to hear your prayers. And you can have confidence that he knows you. Now John says in his gospel, actually, that for non believers They they can pray, but it's almost like empty words because the first prayer he hears is the prayer of repentance when they confess of their sin and they acknowledge that he is Lord. But if we have that relationship with him, once we've accepted him as, as Lord and Savior, we have confidence that we can approach him and that he hears us. Now, I heard a story of a missionary who served among some tribes in South America. And uh, they thought it was a strange practice that every time this tribe was going to pray, they would have these long, like kind of 20-foot poles uh, with a point on the end, like spears. And before they prayed, every time they would walk along uh, their village and, and, and walk along and hold these sticks up in the air. And the missionary asked what it is that they're doing, and they come to find out over uh, a long time that what these people were doing is before they would pray, they would go along and try to wake up their God and, and poke him uh, with the sticks and just kind of make sure that he's awake so that he would hear their prayers. Aren't you glad that God doesn't need us to poke him in the morning? God isn't one of those that, I don't know I mean, if you have kids or how many people are difficult to wake up in the morning. We wake our kids up every day, and sometimes you wake them up, and they'll go, uh, you know, And sometimes they'll look up. And then right back down again. They're like asleep. You know, they need a bit of a, a poke or a prod. Now, we don't use spears or anything on our kids either. We're not prodding them in the morning getting them up. But I'm glad God doesn't need that second cup of coffee before he can talk with us. Isn't that great? He doesn't need to be awake. He's always ready to hear us. This creator of, of the universe loves us. And he hears us. It says, whatever we ask, according to his will, he grants. When we approach God... And we ask anything according to His will. Believers have this security in our faith. And we have a security that God will hear us. And we ought to pray. Every day, to walk with Him and to talk with Him. To allow Him to hear our heart. And to get to know Him more and more. To know of His peace, to know of His grace, to know of His mercy. And to know that we we can pray according to His will. And when we pray for life for for these believers, we're granted that. When we pray that that God supply a way for us to to show His love and mercy to those who don't know Him, He makes a way for that to happen. God provides for us. God leads us as we seek to trust Him. We seek to follow Him. We have security that God knows us and God hears us. And I pray is, I think you pray that the people in our community will come to know how deep and how high and how vast and how wide is the love of Christ. That people will come to know Christ as their Savior, that they can move from death to life and have that security as they know that Christ is the only way for salvation. He's the only way to receive grace and eternal security the abundant life that Christ wants for us. It's not saying if you pray anything, it's going to happen. If you pray for the new car or the new house, a life of luxury, it's going to happen. I've tried a few times. It hasn't worked for me. God's not saying it's magic words you just throw out and poof, it's yours. And unfortunately, there's a lot of churches out there and teachings that says that that's the case. God wants you to have money. God wants you to have all these things not according to His Word, not according to Scripture. But God does want justice. God does want mercy. God does want an end to the oppression. God does want people who are walking in darkness to know of the light of His hope and His salvation. And so we know from this end of uh, this letter of 1 John, we know that those who have Christ have life, abundant life, far more than the riches of this world could ever know, and that without Christ there is no life. We know from the the end of this letter that grace covers a multitude of sins and that although we stumble and although we fall, we are secure in Christ Jesus because He has paid the price for us. God Himself in Christ has paid that price. And we have confidence that God knows us, God loves us, and God hears us as we pray according to His will. I want to challenge you for this next couple weeks Read both 2 John and 3 John, these other two letters. If you want to look, they're they're a few paragraphs each. They're small, little books. We're going to work our way through these final couple letters from John to these early Christians. Some powerful stuff, some challenging stuff, and some encouraging stuff for us as a church. May we know. May we know the, the life we have in Christ. May we know the security we have in Christ. And may we know the grace which is available for any who will choose to believe in Him as our Savior and Lord. Let's just pray. Dear God, I thank you and I praise you for who you are. We thank you and praise you for the mercy and grace you've demonstrated for us on the cross. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us and paid the price for all time, for all who sin, and all who come short of your glory. Lord, thank you that any who trust in you can have life you died and were buried and raised again and are coming again for us as your church for any who trust in you lord help us to pray for one another help us to encourage one another help us to support one another help us lord to live you up, lift you up in our workplaces in our families in our, our community in our life God, may our lives demonstrate the freedom that we have in You. May our lives demonstrate the security we have in You. May our lives our lives demonstrate the relationship we have with You. Thank You, Lord, for the cross. Thank You, Lord, for what Your love has changed in our lives and how You've transformed us. May we, Lord, lift You up that others may know of Your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.